Hi, everybody. Good morning. Um, it's morning here in New Jersey, and I'm very blessed to have with me today on the Voices of Recovery um, Library, uh, Kay Shepard, um, who is a best-selling author of several books, Food Addiction, The Body Knows, and From the First Bite. Kay is a licensed mental health counselor and a certified eating disorder specialist. She conducts workshops for food addicts worldwide, and since the beginning of her own recovery in 1977, Kay has helped thousands of people live happy and healthy lives by following her comprehensive recovery programs. Um, and you can find Kay um, on her website at kayshepherd.com, and also there's uh, a link next to the audio button on the webpage here. And so, Kay, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. I really appreciate it. You know, I'm so happy to have you here. I, I have to say, you know, I read your official bio just now, but um, I have been um, a fan for years. I keep your books on my office shelf, and I often often re- recommend them to um, people that are, are with me in the office. And um, they have been, um, to me, guiding lights and pioneering works in the in the field of food addiction and eating disorder uh, recovery and I'm so I'm I'm kind of uh, happy and honored to be speaking with you and to um, pick your brain about your wisdom. You've been in this field of uh, recovery, I think, for what I'm looking for over 50 years, and since and about 35 years of that in food addiction recovery. Um, exactly. And- Actually, I've been in recovery myself for 47 years, and I've been in the uh, the field. For around 35 years, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, a long timer. We don't like to say old timer. Long timer. <laughs> long timers. So my first thought, I was thinking about how can I best use our time together, and what do I want to most ask you? And one of the things that really came to my mind was the experience and the gift of being in recovery for so long. And I wanted to pick your brain about that. Mm-hmm. You have had a consistent message this whole time. There's been some tweaks and there's been some, I think you had said to me when we spoke just before uh, starting our recording, um, adding wisdom or um, tweaking things or I can't remember exactly how you put it, um, but your message of abstinence, of recovery, of, it's been consistent. So I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Oh, that, that's that's a wonderful subject to start with, abstinence. Uh, and, and I think the term I used was informed improvements. And yes. I just want to say a bit about informed improvements. Over the years, we learn a lot. But I think we started out knowing actually a lot of things just from the practical level because what works, works. And what I have learned, and I've learned it right up until this moment, that I have to be careful about what goes in my mouth or into my body, however I might, whatever way I might absorb it. But usually it would be what I eat, what I drink, um, uh, what what is prescribed by the doctor, what the dentist wants to give me. I just have to be very careful about being cautious about what goes in my body. I learned very early on in my own recovery that um, it isn't it isn't the uh, food in the store that causes problems. It's only the food that I introduce into my body. And by food, I mean any addictive trigger. Anything that's going to trigger my 
a disease, and I call it disease because it's a it's a, a condition of unease, disease, and um, anything that might trigger cravings. Uh, I am very cautious to avoid, and that's that's not to say that um, we can always do it. But I think with with uh, vigilance and awareness, we can be very certain not to put things into our body that are going to trigger the active disease, and, uh, which, is, which is characterized by craving. Um, and then comes the obsession. You know, the obsession with, with food is also triggered when cravings are triggered. So it's like this mental uh, obsession coupled with, with the physical craving that uh, drives us to eat, drink, drug again. So abstinence is um, the first, the very first foundation of recovery, uh, getting the body clean of anything that's going to uh, trigger active addiction. Yeah, you know, I was wondering if we could just, it seems to me like almost like a no-brainer in some ways, but maybe you could help define food addiction you know what is it and i know that that's coupled you you talk a lot in your work and your books about sugar and the effect that sugar has physiologically on the body and there are now modern science is giving us a lot of um actual studies that show that you know sugar acts in the brain similarly to heroin and things like that but you know well before those things you were an advocate of um, he- heeding the really serious dangers of sugar. So yes. maybe you could talk a little bit about food addiction itself. Sugar. Well, actually, I think it's biogenetic. Uh, that means it's a biochemical condition of the body that creates cravings for refined carbohydrates. And really, if we were to, if we were to really identify the condition, I wouldn't use the term eating disorder. I wouldn't use even the term uh, food addiction. I wouldn't use the term compulsive overeater. I would use the term re- refined food addiction because that's really it. And it's a, a physiological condition of the body that, that creates cravings for these refined carbohydrates. And it's, it's really compares to alcoholism. An alcoholic craves uh, alcohol, a food addict craves uh, sugar, refined carbohydrates. And I think refined and processed foods are really our, our um, drug of choice. Every addictive substance goes through the refinement process, if you think about it. Alcohol goes through fermentation and distillation. Um, cocaine is, is a white powder. Sugar is a white powder. Um, every addictive substance, because it goes through the refinement process, actually uh, is easily ingested. Think about how easy it is to um, ingest a little bit of fructose from fruit and how much work it takes to eat an apple. We can ingest a little bit of sugar or a lot of sugar, actually, from of fructose from the fruit, but but the actual eating of an apple takes time, takes energy. It's slowly digested, slowly absorbed. On the other hand, an addictive substance is easily ingested, quickly absorbed, 
quickly passes the brain-blood barrier, changes brain chemistry, and, and alters mood. And it alters mood by flooding the brain with dopamine, serotonin, whatever, whatever the neurotransmitter that that the actual food precursors. It's, um, it floods the brain with that with that um, neurotransmitter, and leaving the person feeling great for 15 minutes. Right. And then what goes up must come down. The body goes to work to remove this toxic uh, chemical from the body, whether it's sugar or cocaine, the body goes to work to, to remove it. And the body jo- does the job so well that it removes it and puts us in deficit. So we go from flooding the brain to, um, to depleting the brain of uh, needed neurotransmitters. On the other hand, if we're eating um, good food, um, it's, it's, it's slowly absorbed and, and feeds the brain rather than flooding it. So we want to move from flooding the brain with refined and processed foods to feeding it with complex foods, with foods that are whole and, uh, and real. Oh, definitely we want to look into having real food. So, um, and, and I did say it's biogenetic. So I, I just described the biochemistry. The genetics are very clear. Dr. Ernest Noble has uh, published on um, the dopamine receptor D2A1, which is um, an abnormal gene. Uh, the normal gene is D, the D2 gene. And what he has found is that a high percentage of alcoholics, cocaine addicts, Nicotine addicts and obese people have this um, this abnormal gene. So he has done us who are in the the food addiction field, the refined food addiction field, has um, done us a favor by showing us that really our addiction is the same as alcoholism, same as cocaine addiction, same as as uh, nicotine addiction, because of that abnormal gene. Some of us have been tested and we know we have it. I, I, because I know Dr. Noble, I was lucky enough to be, be tested. And I, as he said, when he reported to me, he said, as we assumed, you have the abnormal gene. So that's why I, I myself have had to deal with addiction over my lifetime. I was born with it. And, and many people are. So it's biochemical and genetic in nature. It's such a relief in a certain way to know that. And I was thinking earlier, and we, I was saying, you know, that the science is now there. But I think that one of the gifts of what you just explained is that many who are suffering from an eating disorder and, from, and or from food addiction really have a lot of shame. Um, and yeah. I, I'm wondering what the science can do for that shame. Well, I think I think the whole recovery process, you know, whatever whatever mode we take, I, I personally think that the twelve step process, when well done, is is perfect for anybody who has addiction, and it, it takes the twelve steps or or a, a, a way uh, even uh, or therapy or any approach that works toward. Um, uh, suspending judgment. See, when we judge ourselves, we feel ashamed and guilty. When we judge other people, we feel anger and rage. 
So giving up judgment, whenever we judge, criticize, and blame, we become victimized, victimized by our own thinking. I think the whole, um, the whole issue of recovery is to change our thinking. Our bodies know. Our bodies, our bodies are going to react every time to addictive substances because they know they're addicted. Our body has absolutely perfect information about its condition. And every time that, that an addictive substance is entered, is, is put into the body of an addicted person, it's going to react in an addictive manner. The body knows. That happens to be the title of one of my books. I was just going to say that's in the title of your book. <laughs> and you know, yeah. so the science, because of the biogenetic piece, it really can help with the shame that this isn't something that we necessarily signed up for we're still responsible for the solution and for taking those steps into 12 step into therapy into the recovery world we can do that but um in terms of blaming and judging ourselves for it i think the science can contribute maybe to helping us lift off that shame of causality Absolutely. There, there's, you know, I, way back when, I remember very early in my recovery, somewhere along the way, I heard somebody say, we're not bad people getting good, we're sick people getting well. And that's yeah. the truth. We've had an illness. We have addictive illness. And, and it's not about being bad. Although, although in, in recovery, there are important things that take place. Ownership, we take ownership. You use the word responsibility. We own, we own that um, our behavior in the disease of addiction, it breaks our own rules. It's, it's, it's inappropriate. It's not even right for us. And so we take ownership of the past. We take responsibility for the present. And, and we, we grow and mature. You know, with, with maturity, we start to see that this, um, that, that we, we can grow and change. We can grow up. We can grow and change and we can get unstuck. We can get unstuck from our shame and guilt, from our, from, from all, all of the character, um, traits that are part of the disease process. And I must say that recovery is, has to be vigilant and conscious. In fact, I, I, I'm, I'm just thinking of a term recently, I've been reflecting on a term called recovery consciousness because mm-hmm. we are not going to go forward in our lives, which we want to do, if we're not conscious of our needs as people who have addictive illness. And it doesn't mean that we have to stay sick. It means that actually, actually, I think I am grateful that I am a food addict because I've been forced to eat nutritious food. And Melissa, I'm 75 years old and I don't have any diseases at all, other than the obvious ones of addictive, addictive <laughs> disease. But I don't, um, I'm absolutely clean of all addictive substances. I don't take any medications because I don't need any. I have no aches and pains. I'm fairly active and I'm happy. I'm, I'm so happy. So that, that's, that's somebody that's been, you know, around the bend with addiction. But we grow, we change, we mature, and we, we find a, a spirituality. Right now, uh, mindfulness is, is the, the catchword for mental health 
uh, everybody in the field is is promoting mindfulness, which is really meditation or being conscious in the present moment. And and I think I think a healthy life requires that consciousness in the present moment. And we whatever whatever we have done in the past, whatever we even do now that disappoints ourselves, we can evaluate and correct rather than judge and condemn. If we judge and condemn, we stay stuck in our shame. If we evaluate and correct, we go forward as a, with the knowledge that human beings make mistakes. If, if we didn't make mistakes, we wouldn't need each other. And look how wonderful it is to, to need each other. I mean, you, just you and I, how we've clicked, Melissa, and what a joy it is for us to exchange ideas and information. We wouldn't need each other if we if we d- didn't make mistakes, if we weren't imperfect human beings. It's wonderful. It's a great setup. We 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 think it's so horrible that oh, I made a mistake. I, I I'm gonna. I, I need to condemn myself. No, I made a mistake. I can figure it out and, and, and rectify it. I can make amends. I can, I can correct my behavior. I can uh, grow and change and go forward in this life as a mature, uh, reasonable human being. Uh, I, I, I feel so lucky to have addiction because I've been given a path to follow that has given me a physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual Healthy opportunity for help, progress, not perfection. Nobody, I, I don't think we we reach perfection in this lifetime, but we sure can make progress and and be happy and healthy. We're in different places. I believe you're in Florida right now. Yes, um, and, and I'm in very cold New Jersey um, with snow everywhere. And I'm thinking about the closeness that a recovering life brings and yeah. the blessings. And I wish that you could see the big smile on my face. And I'm thinking that there are so many blessings and you are a a living testimony to the fact that recovery can happen and i i'm wondering you know i i there are so many people that are struggling that where they're standing on their side of the river it it just doesn't seem possible to have the blessings that you're talking about it's so hard to take that small next right step and could you just share with us some of your wisdom on when you're just stuck in the problem and stuck in the food and in the addiction how do you just try how do you what do you do to try and move forward in order to get some of those amazing blessings that really are true not perfect but a life lived well and healthy well i think recognition first we have to recognize it admission next we have to admit it and then acceptance. We have to accept, and that's the ownership that we talked about earlier. That's owning it. I accept the fact. Now, what's the solution? And then I go forward looking for the solution. And the absolute bottom line of moving from active addiction into active recovery is putting down the drug of choice. It has to come first. We we can we can, certainly can seek out all the all the support we can muster, you know, in order to make that decision and then make that move into clean abstinence. Um, you know, you can pick up the phone and call Melissa. Pick up the phone and call Kay. Pick up the phone and call uh, any one of the twelve step programs that that um, promote an abstinent, clean way of life. Um, 
to, to get to or do all of the above, but to get the support that one needs um, to do to make that decision and then to move forward with that decision to get clean and abstinent. And then, and then, of course, there's there's more to be done. There's a whole lifetime of work to do, but it's it's uh, it and it requires effort. Uh, disease requires no effort. It's automatic. It's um, it's vicious. It's progressive, and it's difficult. And it's I even want to say horrible to to experience and you know when when you talk about when you're stuck in whatever you're stuck in you you can't even imagine the horrible horrible life i came from in addiction my my addict i i hit bottom such a hard bottom and such a low bottom i was in recovery by the time i was 28 years old and it was it was horrible and it's been putting one foot in front of the other and doing the next right thing to make my life right and when I don't do the next right thing I have the tools to, to correct it to correct you, know, you it. say but in my, your own story my, it was a question of sanity yes oh golly and that's that's second step I mean that's step two in in recovery came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity and no matter where we go to find that that sanity uh, I, I think it was oh who was the the theorist that said uh, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results I think it was Freud Maybe it was young, but it was one of those early theorists that said that, uh, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting uh, different results. And that is the way we operate in addiction. We keep using and using and using, expecting things to be better. You know, we eat to feel better and we always feel worse. We don't recognize the feeling worse part. We recognize the feeling better part, and we stay we stay stuck in that idea that food gives us comfort. It does not. A, a refined and, and processed foods give us misery. They're 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 horrible. They're I, I oh, every every disease every disease is has has some association with bad nutrition. I had a physician visiting me over the, this past weekend, and I said to her, in the, she works in a hospital, and I said, in your hospital, what percentage of those people um, are, are there because of bad nutrition? And she said 90%. Wow. That's a staggering statistic. 90%. Mm-hmm. 90%. I mean, it really does matter what we put in our bodies. Do you? It matters. It matters. it matters, and and how connected mood is to um, to what we eat in so many different ways, physiologically and just how we feel in terms of what we're doing to ourselves and for ourselves. I, I wonder if you could speak a little bit about the difference in your experience over these many years about the difference between an eating disorder and a food addiction. Does everybody have a food addiction? How does one know? How does one be honest with oneself about whether they have a food addiction or they have an eating disorder or they're in both camps? Well, an eating disorder is just a bunch of diagnoses from the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, and they're all spelled out pretty clearly. Uh, the people I work with usually come under the um, 
the diagnosis of bulimia nervosa or binge eating disorder. Uh, I personally don't work with anorexia, but those would be the the major. Uh, remind me, Melissa. Are there other? I know there's pica and things that we're not really. Um, yeah, I wasn't referring. I was thinking more about you know anorexia and bulimia yeah. and yeah, they, and so, so those are the three in the DSM five uh, that would be that we'd be thinking about today: anorexia, bulimia nervosa, and binge eating disorder. And um, I personally don't work with anorexics. I don't understand anorexia. I don't have a treatment modality for. Uh, anorexia so although I'm a certified eating disorder specialist uh, my real specialty is binge eating disorder and bulimia nervosa uh, which I I actually tend to call food addiction and I call it food addiction because I use the addiction model of recovery Uh, I use the same model of recovery because I am looking at those people with dopamine receptor D2A1 who probably have, a, if not a personal history of addiction to other substances, have a family history of addiction to other substances. There, there are, um, to me, there are three types of eaters. I, I, I want to move out of the eating disorder mode and the addiction mode just, just to, to mention that there are three types of eaters. First, there are normal social eaters. There are normal eaters. Um, I have a client whose wife um, is a normal eater. Uh, she, he, he gave her a box of candy for Valentine's Day, and he said to her, oh, uh, did you, are you enjoying that candy I gave you? And she said, oh, yes, I have half a piece every afternoon with my tea. Now, I, as a food addict, can't even fathom having half a piece of candy with my tea. I might be able to stop at half the box, but probably not. Right. So, so I, I, I don't even, I, I don't even uh, understand normal eaters. Uh, and I see people that leave part of their dessert on the plate and just push it away. I go, well, you know, why aren't you eating that? Uh, why aren't you finishing that? Uh, you should be having that in another piece. You know, that's that's how my addiction operates in my mind. And then there are people who are not born with a defective gene but develop tolerance for the for the substance tolerance means that over time it takes more of the substance in larger quantity more frequently used to get the desired effect these people are not born addicts they develop addiction they develop through to, through the development of tolerance so just by overuse of food and being triggered by that food uh, they continue to use more and more and more then there are the addicts who are born with a defective gene. These people don't have any wiggle room whatsoever. Absolute abstinence from all addictive substances is necessary for recovery for those that are born with the addictive gene. So there are, and I call the people who develop tolerance um, uh, dependent. They have a, a, a substance dependence, and then substance addiction. So there's. There's people that can control their eating. There are people who lose control over time, and there are people who are born with with, with no control. So uh, those are the three types of of people of, of eaters, I call them. And um, 
us and 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 the the person that the person that has developed tolerance looks exactly like the addict and they need exactly the same um uh treatment wow that's very clear and i i thank you for that i i wanted to just talk a little bit about food for a minute that the food that you eat is good food you have a lot of food suggestions good whole food you have some recipes in your book because I know that at the outset sometimes for people doing those early steps that you had described of admitting and accepting and seeking support and really deciding that there is and could be something better and moving from the problem and the pain into the solution, there's a lot of grief over having to give up the food. And I wanted to ask you about that grief but also ask you to say a little bit about the fact that the whole food that gets eaten is really good. It's not bad food. Oh, but there's a lot of joy in getting rid of the crap, too. Yeah. And when I use the term crap, I right. mean right. I mean <laughs> caffeine, uh, alcohol, uh, refined and processed foods, um, so, so it's kind of an acronym. And it's, yeah. it means something as well. But anyway, it, there's great joy in getting rid of the junk food and eating real. And, and the food that we eat is delicious. It's so delicious. You know, I can sit in a restaurant and have a steak a baked potato, a salad with oil and vinegar, and and uh, look like anybody else. I don't, I don't, uh, you know, once in a great while, you know, I don't eat the bread, I don't eat the butter, but every once in a while somebody will say, oh, you eat healthy. But <clears throat> the truth of the matter is that meal looks like most anybody's. And I, I don't think we, uh, our, our food, well, I, I know that people get comments about their food. And one thing that I think is very important that we don't restrict, we eat plenty of food. I think skimping and eating small meals and not eating enough is is a, a setup for a binge. We eat plenty of food. It's low fat, not so high in calories, and high, very high in fiber. So by eating high fiber, fairly low fat, and... and um, and um, high protein. I think protein is so friendly to the brain chemistry of a food addict. Um, uh, Protein gives us L-tryptophan, which moderates the production of brain serotonin from the carbohydrates. So it's one of our protections against uh, flooding the brain. Um, Complex carbohydrates that are that are uh, uh, slowly, you know, slowly digested and and slowly absorbed, feed the brain. um, Plus the protein, which protects the brain, and um, it's it's just highly nutritious, good choices. And and we we don't go so far as to say everything has to be organic everything has to be uh you know perfect nutrition but but i think our pr- nutrition in terms uh in relation to the rest of the country is amazingly sound amazingly sound so what we do in in terms of our food plan is eliminate the addictive substances balance protein and carbohydrate um um 
moderate the amount we eat. We do weigh and measure. We put a boundary on the, the amount we eat by weighing and measuring. And um, we uh, really do provide really good nutrition. So our food plan has great goals. And we don't number weight loss uh, as one of the goals of our, our program. We believe that if you focus on weight, uh, you, you stay in the, the diet mentality. If you focus on recovery, the weight will take care of itself. Yeah. Because one of the characteristics of, addi- of food addiction is obsession with weight, and we do we do work carefully to remove that. One of the things that I'm gleaning from also from what you're saying is that it takes out a healthy planned food plan that has boundaries ab- around it, takes the noise and the struggle out of your head. All of that self-attack and should I, shouldn't I, I did, I didn't, I want, I can't, all of this, these, these self-attacking, angstful, obsessive messages around food are removed. It's, it's simple. There's breathing room now. I've heard it said three meals a day with life in between. Uh, nice. and, and what a life. And you mention in your work, you talk about love and service. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wondered if you could just say a little bit about love and service. Well, that's the bottom line. I think in order to, um, or because, because we, we are in recovery, we become capable of giving loving service and to give, you know, just to love and um, cherish the people around us, to come from a place of love instead of a place of fear and resentment. Because I think um, active addicts are just filled with with fear and, as you mentioned, shame and and anger and resentment. And to to clean clean up and clear up, it gives us an opportunity to, um, you know, the golden rule: love God and love your neighbor and love yourself. And it doesn't it start with loving yourself. If you don't love yourself. Love yourself enough to do the tough things, not love yourself enough for the indulgences, but love yourself enough to do the tough things. That's the beginning. And then we can, we can take that love out into the world. Um, I love that, um, that uh, prayer of St. Francis, um, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace, or even like it better, Lord, make me a channel of your peace. If we go out into a world full of angst, we find a world full of angst. If we go out in the world filled with love, at least with the the intention of love, uh, we find a very loving world. It's the the world reflects our, our inner self, our innermost self. And you know that that idea of service, service to me is is gratitude in action. And you can't be grateful and hateful at the same time. So service is like gratitude in action. I'm showing my love and gratitude and appreciation for for the many gifts I've been given in this life by by uh, serving, by being of service, however that is, however that is. Um, who knows what opportunity the the, the smallest thing uh, it can be the a wonderful opportunity for for giving service. I have a new charity. Uh, you know, I've been looking around. What what charity? What charity uh, is my favorite? And uh, my new charity is um, I keep 
I always keep $5 bills in my wallet. And whenever I see a man, and sometimes there are some women um, by the side of the road with a little sign asking for help, usually it says I'm, ho- I'm hungry or I'm homeless, I hand them $5. And that's my latest charity because that's, that's um, I don't know, I just think it's like so basic to have no home and have no food. Where, and, and I always give them, and I always say something loving to them when I hand them that money. You know, it's such and a I don't concept. say don't get booze with it. <laughs> <laughs> because they could. I don't say don't buy cigarettes or alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You just. <laughs> I bite my tongue on that one. <laughs> yes, you know, I heard I heard something wonderful just on that note. It just reminded me. I heard someone once say, uh, I never miss an opportunity to say nothing. And, uh, I love that. I'll think of that the next time. <laughs> isn't that great? But I love that idea of, of being charitable because a lot of times, especially in the pain and in the fear and the shame and, and in the throes of the addiction, there's such a deficit of a sense of self. And, and sometimes I think we think we have to do these grandiose things to make ourselves worthwhile or to give ourselves meaning or to say that we're worth something. And you're, you're saying it's simple. Keep a few bucks in your pocket and without mm-hmm. passing along a judgment, just give because it shapes you. And it makes well, and, you and a giver. It, you're hungry, and I'm so about food. <laughs> I don't right. want people to be hungry. I want to yeah, food, share your love. hunger for a minute. <laughs> right, right. It's such a beautiful concept. I, I'm yeah. looking at our. I'm looking at our time, and and I think it's it's about time to wrap up. I, sadly so, but I've heard it's good to wrap when things are good. Always leave a party while it's still going on. You know, I've heard those <laughs> kinds of things, and just to to, I just want to express to you. My, my very deep gratitude for your time today and for your wisdom and just for the example of all of these decades that you have in recovery and the, and, and the message that it's possible. It's possible to keep doing the next right thing, as you said, and move into simple ways of coming out of an addicted way of living and, and into the health that you're an example of, the, the emotional relief and the physical health. and It is possible. It's doable, definitely. Well, I think God gives me good helps, helps so I can brag about it, Melissa. <laughs> I love it. That's great. I, yeah, I'm, I'm so grateful to be the recipient of your bragging. It, it's a wonderful thing to, to hear. And I just I want to thank you again so much. And... I want to just remind our listeners that they can find you at kshepherd.com. Pretty easy, right? And, yes. uh, and you're available. When, right. <laughs> and you've got all kinds of stuff on your website in terms of someone's looking for a next right thing to do. There's a lot of good information about what to do and, and how to take steps. Wherever you are in your recovery, there's good stuff uh, on your site so they can find you there. Okay, so I'm going to thank you again and wish you many blessings. Thank you, Melissa. It's been such a joy. Let's stay in touch.